I really trust this morning that as I share what I feel like God has given me, that you will be inspired out of the truth of the scripture for this year. And I have to say, I want to encourage you this morning. I want to uh, help you to focus on Jesus. I want to lift him up because really, if we are honest and we look at this year, there's not been much good news economically in the last six months. There's not been, you know, the queen a couple of years ago talked about her Annus Horribilis. Remember she said that when she, the whole royal family was going through a whole lot of difficult times. And as we go forward as a nation, I, I, as we start this year, I want to say to you, there are going to be difficult times this year. I think we would be foolish. I think we would be naive to think it's not going to be hard. But you know what? I want, I want to plant in your heart this morning that Jesus is still the great provider of every good thing to his people. And that is why I stand here confidently, not arrogantly, but confidently that God is still going to provide good things for us, his children this year as a local church. And so I want to start in the sense where I finished last year because I felt like God gave me this word at the last couple of weeks of last year out of Psalm 84. Please go with me there. We're going to start there and we're going to end up in Romans, but let's have a look at Psalm 84. Which simply says this. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may later lay her young. At your altar, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Isn't that wonderful? That we can get together week after week, together singing the praise of Almighty God. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. Some other translations say to those who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they go through the valley of Baca, which is weeping, they make it a place of springs. The early rain covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each one appears before God in Zion. Well, I don't know about you, but I find that incredibly encouraging. And for me, the last couple of years have been years of pilgrimage. They've been years of positioning. They've been years where God has sifted us and our hearts and sifted this church. But I feel like prophetically, I want to speak over you again at the beginning of this year and say this year is going to be a year of going from strength to strength. From strength to strength. And I don't want to necessarily try and define it this week in terms of a whole lot of specific areas, although I feel like God has given me some areas of where I feel like we're going to go from strength to strength. But I do know this. As a person who used to run marathons, if you can finish the race stronger than when you started, you are in a good place. And I want to speak that over you as a church and say right at the beginning of this year, I am confident that for all of us, we are going to finish this year in a stronger place than when we began it. And so I speak that over you. 
This is going to be a year of going from strength to strength. And as I said it a couple of weeks ago, what I love most about this scripture is the promise that it holds for us. The promise that it holds for us. In the midst of this turbulent kind of last six months, all the credit crunch, economic gloom, the wonderful promise of God to us this morning is those that dwell in His house. Note the, the language. Those that dwell in the shadow of the Most High. Those that dwell with Him, they are happy. They are blessed. Remember as we were studying um, Matthew, blessed means happy. Happy are those who dwell in your house. Happy are those whose strength is in you. Happy are those who have their, your ways in their hearts. They've set their hearts on pilgrimage. And even though the scripture says that even though they go through times of weeping, times of testing, times of trial, they make those times a place of springs, a place where living water begins to emerge. And for, for me, my friends, that is the great testimony of our faith. I love the story in the book of Acts where Paul and Silas are in jail. They are in jail. They are behind the bars. They are looking through into tough circumstances. And what does the scripture say? It says about midnight. When everyone else is asleep. It's easy to be singing praises on a Sunday with everybody else. But in the midnight hour, when it's just you and, you, and your wife is asleep and you are wrestling. I don't know, do any of you wrestle at midnight? I do. Sometimes I can't sleep. Two, three o'clock in the morning. Just crying out to God, wrestling in that midnight hour, in that place. If you can sing, because of what God has done in your life, that's a good place to be. You look through the bars, you look through the prison, and you sing of the liberty and freedom that God has given you on the inside. That is a good place to be. So I'm not promising anyone, no one can promise anyone at the beginning of this year that it's going to be an easy year. But I can promise you this, for those that are in Christ, it can be a year, a year of singing. It can be a year of celebration. It can be a year of victory after victory, going from strength to strength, because He is sure, He is steadfast, and that is our hope. Can anyone say amen? amen. I feel like that's a rhema word for this church, I really do. And as I said at the end of last year, it's an unusual statement because normally on any kind of journey, you get weaker as you go along. And yet God's promise to us is that as we go through the journey, we're going to get stronger and stronger. And I said, I don't want to end my life as a gray-haired veteran, bitter and twisted because I've had to walk through some tests and, I, and, I, and God has let me go through some trials and I've got despondent along the way. That's not the victory of the Christian life. The victory of the Christian life is as you walk through the challenges that God allows you to walk through, you end up singing in the middle of the challenge. That is the victory of the Christian life. Daily grace for challenges to overcome them. Amen. Spurgeon said this, and I quoted it last time. He said this, God will give the strength of ripe manhood with the burden allotted to full-grown shoulders. Amen. We want to walk through this life and end strong? Well, we're going to have to let our shoulders get broad, get muscled up. Where's Wayne Krebs? He's, he's the man that, he's not here this morning. When you want to see a, a powerful man, have a look at Wayne. Big shoulders. Why? He's pumped iron for years and years and years. Well, you know, that's what, how your muscles grow. You actually you rip them and you tear them, and then they repair and they get bigger. 
And as we walk through life with challenges, as we have to, are forced to come to some things in our lives, God allows those things to build us, and the muscle grows, and the muscle grows. You want to pray for courage? You know what God's going to do? He's going to give you situations to be courageous in. You want to pray and say, Lord, increase my faith? You know what He's going to do? He's going to give you situations in your life where you're going to have to exercise faith. Not just pray, oh God, give me faith. You're going to have to exercise it. You want to pray for patience? God's going to give you circumstances to be patient in. That's the, that's the hard part, isn't it? Say, God, you're my great provider. Well, perhaps this year we're going to find that we're going to have to trust Him for our daily provision. Give me this day my daily bread. Can you go with as an introduction then out of that? Please go with me to Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Because as I was um, on holiday with my family, I felt God speak to me. I'm more and more convinced that we do need times of rest and we need times of recreation. That's what R&R, isn't it? You recreate yourself. God, as we give Him time, He speaks. And I love what God says in Romans 15. Can I remind of you this morning in verse 13? It says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Abound in hope. I want to encourage you this morning. I want to ask you this morning, under the power of the Holy Spirit, that you'd open your hearts to Him this year in a radical, meaningful way that the God of all hope, because you believe in what the Lord Jesus has done, the God of all hope will fill you by the power of the Holy Spirit that you might abound. What does abound mean? It means more than enough. You might abound in hope this year. In the midst of every difficult circumstance that you might face, that you will abound in hope. Can I say this to you? We should be the most hope-filled community in St. Albans. We should be. Why? Because we believe in Him, the author of all hope, that has given us hope because of Christ Jesus and what He's done by the power of His blood. We've been set free, and that liberates us into a whole new destiny and future. I celebrate the fact that I'm saved by grace. But you know, it doesn't stop there. That's just the beginning point. The most important thing is that you're saved by grace so that you might have a hope for the future. That you can live a meaningful life. That God has liberated you out of darkness into light so you can live for Him. That's the most wonderful thing about grace. That you don't have to earn your salvation. It's dealt with absolutely. But now you have hope in Him. And you are liberated into a freedom as a son and a daughter of the Most High God. That is the good news of the gospel. I'm a bit loud this morning. We have hope because of Christ. Someone said this, that faith and hope are like Siamese twins. I like that image. Faith and hope, they're like Siamese twins. I'm so glad to be saved. I trust that you are. But because you are saved, because I am saved, we have a hope that is steadfast and certain. That's what the Bible promises to us that who, be who believe. It's different from hope as the world offers hope. We have hope that is sure, that is steadfast, 
that is absolutely certain because of what Jesus has done. Can you go with me, please, to Joshua chapter 23, verse 14? This is a fascinating verse. Joshua is at the end of his life. He's had the privilege of walking in what God has had for him his whole life. And look at what he says in verse 14. I'm trusting that I can pray this prayer when I'm, when I'm about to go and be with him, whether that's in many years or in few years. Joshua says this, he says, And now, I'm about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass. Not one of them has failed. Isn't that incredible? That this man can look back on his life and say, God, in you, not one thing you have promised me has failed. Every single thing that you had for my life has been fulfilled. Don't you want to be able to end your life like that? Well, I want to say at the beginning of this year, let us end 2009 confident that we are going to be able to say that whatever God gives us this year, that we can say at the end of the year, Lord, that thing, you, we have seen it come into fruition, the fullness of what you have promised. And I want to say that's the assurance of God to each of us as we walk faithfully with Him. He speaks destiny over our lives, and then He calls us to walk in the fullness of all that He has promised us. Today, as we begin a new year, I want to ask to, you to remind yourself of the prophetic promises that God has spoken over you, for your life, and for your family. And I want to remind you what God has spoken over this church. Why? Because we use those and we wage warfare in our lives with the prophetic promises of the Word of God over us. That's what we do. And why can we live like that? Why can we live with that deep assurance in our hearts? Well, can we go with, you go with me, please, to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. I know I'm skipping around a bit. But that's okay. Let's try to paint a little picture this morning, and in the weeks ahead, we're going to look in more detail at some of these things. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Beautiful, beautiful verse. It says this Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you so glad about that? Because you've been saved, because you've been justified. Peace with God. God, absolute assurance of that in our lives. We have peace with God. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith to this grace in which we stand. We are saved by faith. We are saved by grace. And we stand in that, absolutely sure of our salvation, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But look at this. I love this little line. More than this. That's a wonderful thing. It's absolutely incredible, amazing declaration of the truth of what God has done in our lives. And then he's, Paul says, but more than this, more than that absolute assurance, that peace with God, more than the grace of God that He's given us, more than this, we rejoice. We rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces perseverance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Character, my friends, produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love 
has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> because we've been saved, because we have the grace of God, because we're rooted in the blood of Jesus, what He's done, more than we can, we can have hope. Hope in a great God. I haven't seen some of my family for a year, more than a year. I hope to see some of them this year. But there are many factors that could get in the way of that happening. There are a whole lot of things that could happen, that, and I have a hope that I will see them. It's more like a desire, I guess. It's a desire to see my family. But when the Bible speaks about hope, it refers to something which is an absolute certainty, which is a definite and a sureness beyond any doubt. It's the difference. And that's the kind of hope that we have because of what Jesus has done by the blood of Jesus and by the grace of God poured out in our lives. We have that kind of hope. The English Standard Version says, hope does not put us to shame. The NIV says, hope does not disappoint us. And while I was in, uh, in France last week, we were talking with Lee, our friend who, who leads the church there, and he read the French translation to us. And the French Bible says this, hope leaves us full of pride. Not in a negative sense, but pride in what God has done. Full of pride. Absolutely just resting on that thing. Oh God, you've done it. It's done. I want to ask you today, as we start this year, what things are you afraid of being disappointed in or seeing disappointment in? Because the Lord says, will you look to Him this morning? Because He is hope and He will not disappoint you. What things do you fear being put to shame in this year? I want to say again to you, the Lord says to you this morning, He will make you stand tall because of the hope that you have in His Word. And that is a sure thing. Amen? You know, sometimes the hard knocks of life can begin to disillusion you a little. You can begin to be cynical about promises and to start to doubt the promises that God has for us in His Word. Because of hard knocks. You know, one of the most wonderful family promises contained that I think is the, in the whole of the Scriptures, Romans chapter 8, which says this, all things work together for those who are called and who love Him and are called according to His Word. All things work together for good. <laughs> Don't get cynical when you have to walk through some difficult things because the Scripture says all things work together for those who are called according to His purpose and who love Him. Even the difficult things. God in His sovereignty helps us to walk through those things. You know, if you were born in the last 25 years or last 30 years, can I say this to you? Youth has a wonderful, wonderful benefit. But can I say this to you? None of you who have been born in the last 30 years have ever walked through a period in the history of the world where you've had to want anything. You don't know what it's like to have little. Because this last 25, 30 years, the world economic system has meant that you can have much of everything. And I'm speaking to myself now. We are going into a time, a period of the world, where there's going to be a want. We're not going to have everything that you want all the time so easily. We're going to have to work hard for some things. That's not a criticism. That's not a... Uh, it's just the reality of how we've been fortunate in growing up. But now, there's new challenges for us. And I want to say we have to sing a different song. <laughs> Remember I used that illustration of what song do you sing? Let the song of our hearts be the gospel. Well, I want to say some of these difficult things are going to help us to start singing a different song. The song of the gospel. 
Isaiah 48 says this, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction for my name's sake. God is fashioning us for His glory. You know, God does everything for His glory, that His glory might be revealed. And even the difficult things we walk through are so that God can show His glory in us. Amen. I was just uh, really interested when Chris Lane came a couple of weeks ago. He, he reminded us of that wonderful prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1. And he says this. It's an extraordinary prayer. In verse 15 he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love that you have toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, all such beautiful language of expansion and growth and greater revelation of what? That you might know what is the hope to which He has called you. He has called you to hope. He hasn't called you to be down in the mouth when circumstances are hard and difficult. He's called you to hope. It's why you've been saved, so you can have a hope and a future. Amen. So you can have a hope and a future. That's your glorious inheritance in the saints. So that you might know the hope to which He's called you. We saved by the blood of Jesus, but at the same time, we receive a calling to hope as we put our confidence in Him. We receive a certainty of salvation and at the same time, a call to hope that we receive, we'll receive something. When I was at university, I studied political science as part of my degree, and Karl Marx, I'm sure you've heard this many times over, but Karl Marx said, religion is the opiate of the people. Religion is the opiate of the people. It's the drug they need to help them handle the pain of their lives. It's interesting what Paul said in the worship this morning about that article written. And quite recently, uh, Nick sent me a a wonderful quote of a guy called uh, Cheslov Miloc, obviously an Eastern European. And he wrote an essay, and and it's a wonderful reply to that assertion that Karl Marx made, that religion is the opiate of the people. He said this, The true opium of the people is a belief in nothingness after you die. The huge solace of thinking that for your betrayal, your greed, your cowardice and murder, you're not going to be judged. So the Marxist doctrine needs to be revised. It's not religion that is the opiate of the people, but atheism is the opiate of the morally corrupt. Can I just say that again to you? It's not religion that is the opiate of the people, but atheism that is the opiate of the morally corrupt. There are rewards for us, my friends. We are going to receive good things. We receive good things in this life, but we receive good things in the life that is to come because of what we've given ourselves to here on this earth. Mark chapter 10, verse 29. I quoted in the worship this morning. I love this verse. It says this, For all of you that uh, are facing difficult things, listen to what the Scripture promises you this morning. It says this, Truly I say to you, Jesus speaking, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or land for my sake. 
and for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive a hundred times now in this time houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and land, comma, with persecution. I wish he hadn't said that. <laughs> Jesus tells the whole truth. With persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many that are first will be last, and the last will be first. I love that verse. You know, we think we have to sacrifice much for the gospel, and we, and in a sense there is a sacrifice. I was just saying to, to uh, Adrian this morning, looking at his little boys, that when I arrived here eight and a half years ago, my eldest son was his boy's age, 18 months. And I look at my kids now, 12 and 10, we've been here eight and a half years, God has done much. There have been some sacrifices along the way in terms of family and friends and houses and lands. But do you know what the scripture says? For my sake, those who give themselves for my sake, for the sake of the gospel, they will receive now, in this time, houses, lands, families, friends, a hundred times what they left behind. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's wonderful. It is. It's very good. That's the good news of the gospel. I want to say this to you, and I'm not boasting in myself now. I'm boasting in God. I don't have much money, but I've holidayed all over the world because of the friends that God has given me by the preaching of the gospel. I've just been to France, didn't pay a cent for staying there for two weeks. Why? Because my friends offered said, come and stay with us for Christmas. <laughs> you don't have to earn hundreds of thousands of pounds to enjoy the world and what God has given us and created for us to enjoy. Why? Because in this life now, for those who give themselves for the gospel, hundred times, houses, lands, friends, families, mothers, fathers. I'm not a faith guy. I'm not a hyper-faith guy, but I am rooted in this truth that God wants to give good things to those that love Him, just to bless them because He's generous. Absolutely it's good. Amen. Amen. And I trust the same for you, every single one of you, that this year will be a year of absolute bounty and goodness and the grace of God poured out in every area of your life. Carl Truman wrote an essay says this, uh, the title of the essay was, So, question mark, what can miserable Christians sing? What can miserable Christians sing? And I just love this as I read this. He says this, there's a real danger that the heretical teachings of health, wealth, and happiness have seeped into the evangelical life in an imperceptible but devastating way affecting not so much our theology as our horizon of expectation. Here's a litmus test for your church. In the context of your worship, think of the Psalms, the Bible's hymn book. Why has it dropped from view in the contemporary Western evangelical scene? It's possibly because a high proportion of the Psalms is taken up with lamentation, with feeling sad, unhappy, tormented, and broken. <laughs> and these are simply not emotions which have much credibility in today's church. Sure, people feel these things, but to admit that they are a normal part 
of everyday life is tantamount to admitting that you have failed in today's health, wealth, and happiness society. Now, one would not expect the world to have much time for these weaknesses of the psalmist's cries, but it is disturbing when these cries of lamentation disappear from the language and the worship of the church. A diet of unremitting choruses and hymns inevitably creates the unrealistic horizon of expectations which sees normal Christian life as one long triumphalistic street party. In the Psalms, God gives us a language which allows us to express even the deepest agonies of the human soul in worship. Yet he slay me, I will worship him. God is good. He's sovereign in all things. My friends, I pray that as we worship this year, whether it's in the the highest mountain time or whether it's the lowest valley time of your life, I pray that you would worship with the same motivation that God is good, the same grace expressed in your life, the same goodness of God smiling down upon you. Whether you're in the mountain, whether you're in the valley, that's what it's about. That's the Christian life. Romans chapter 8, to finish. And then we're going to have some coffee together. I love this verse as well. Romans chapter 8. Are you there? It says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Aren't you so glad about that? The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, as it goes on to say. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, Although your body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through the Spirit who dwells in you. What a wonderful, wonderful promise. That's the hope that we have. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, brings life to us, gives life to our mortal bodies. All that we face, we have grace, daily grace, to overcome what God has going to allow for us to walk into this year. And my friends, that is good news. That is good news. That should offer you hope that is steadfast and sure, that is not like a carpet that is pulled out on your feet, that is the solid rock of the gospel in your life that should give you great hope to face whatever the devil would throw at you this morning, knowing that he who lives in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. Amen. That's the hope we have. Let's face this year with confidence in our heart. A confidence that comes from Christ, a confidence that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit, a confidence that comes from being rooted as a son and daughter of the Most High God. I hope that's rooted in the goodness of our Father God to us. How long have I been going? Half an hour? Can I just, one more scripture? Is that right? Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48 verse 12. Uh, I was just fascinated as we were praying this morning just to hear the prayers of the guys as they prayed and uh, I'd prepared this. I love this verse. Verse 48, chapter 48 verse 12, it says, Listen to me, O Jacob. 
and Israel whom I called. I am He. I am the first. I am the last. My hands laid the foundation of the earth and, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I called to them, they stand forth together. Isn't that a most incredible, incredible verse? That's our Father. <laughs> That's our Father. With His right hand, He spreads out the heavens. And the Bible says of our Father, He says, the nations are simply a drop in the bucket to Him. It says all the dust contained in the earth is weighed in His balances. That's how the Bible describes God, our Father. And if you've been looking at those Louis Giggler videos in the evenings, they're simply incredible. The bigness of the universe that God has created. And it says here that God's hand is larger than the expanse of space. And that is billions and billions of light years across. It says God's hand is bigger than that. And how small the earth is, like a speck of dust to Him. And when He takes it out, it's less than that. It's less than a speck of dust. You can't even see it in the, in the huge expanse of the, of the universe. But for me, what is most amazing about all of this far more wonderful than the bigness of God's creation is that this great, great God could care so much for those minute, tiny little beings of His creation, that's you and me, that He comes and He steps down and condescends to be born into this world. And He restricts His glory, the Bible says. And He comes and He lives as a man. And He becomes intimately involved in your and my life. The great God of the universe. And now He's bought for us by the power of Jesus' blood. He's bought freedom for us. And now He watches over us, every one of us, to be sure that we have everything that His love could shower upon us. Everything. And so we have hundreds of promises, hundreds of reassurances, hundreds of His tokens of care for us. He's never failed us. He is the boundless God whose hands are big enough to span eternity and time. And yet He has you and me in the palm of his hand. My friends, if I can just say this as I finish, this really is my last point. But if you can start to live with that confidence in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit and let God refresh you in that simple truth that the great God of the universe has got you right here in the palm of his hand. In the shadow of His wing. The Bible uses all that kind of language in the Old Testament. The shadow of His hand. You've etched me on the palm of your hand. Isaiah 49 says. As you see the wonder of that, as you begin to live in in the reality of that in your life, what amazing security that should offer every one of us. The blood of Jesus has done all that we need. And the God of all the universe holds us in the palm of His hand. That should bring security and joy to every single one of us this morning for the year that lies ahead that we can put our confidence in that great God who loves us. Amen. Amen. Can I pray with you? Father, I want to just thank you for your words. I want to thank you that your word is rich. I want to thank you, Lord, that your word is powerful. I want to thank you, Lord, that your word brings life to us. I want to thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to preach Uh, right now, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'd come and as we just quieten our hearts right now, that you would come and do what words cannot do. That you would settle these things in our hearts, that you'd refresh us and encourage us in in these truths. We thank you, Lord, that you created everything, but we thank you that we are held in the palm of your hand. 
We thank you, Lord, that we have been saved by grace, and yet we are called to a hope that is steadfast and sure and certain. I pray for every single family represented in this church, for those that are not here this morning, that this year would be a year of hope, would be a year of going from strength to strength in every area of our lives, that we would finish this year strong, we'd finish this year refreshed, we'd finish this year rejoicing in how many people you've saved, how many people you've healed, how we've seen your spirit poured out in our times together, in our worship times. Our God, we put our confidence in those things this morning. We love you and we honor you. And I pray, Lord, for every single family represented here, every single single person, that God, your hope would rest upon us, deep within us, steadfast like a rock of our lives, because that's what you've done through the power of the blood of Jesus. You've given us a hope and a future. You have given us a destiny that is sure, and we rejoice in the good things that you've done. In Jesus' wonderful name. Everyone says? Amen. Amen. God bless you.